no place like home. He's here! For the holiday. Where's my backpack? Because no matter how far away you roam. You know what? He smells. If you are a for the holidays, huh? We're excited to continue this uh, series today and the special emphasis on bringing someone pretty special home uh, for the holidays, for Christmas, for the New Year's. And this person came uh, many years ago, and when he came into our world, he changed everything. And when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, um, his presence, his power, his gift of eternal life radically changed everything. It turned the world upside down. But the way in which he came is very unique. It's one in which most of us would never, ever choose. We would never go the route of being a king and then becoming a baby. We would never go the route that Jesus went. We would never downgrade ourselves to to accomplish something significantly and and for eternal purposes. How well do you handle being benched? Think back to your sports career, to your workplace career, to being demoted or being downgraded with your gifts, your abilities, your talents. How well do you handle if you know for certain that the person who got placed ahead of you, got promoted above you, was less than the person that, and the qualities and talents that you possess? How well do you handle being benched? How well do you respond when you signed up quickly for something, thinking that it was going to be that, but quickly it got reduced to this, something meaningless? What happens when you are the go-to guy or gal in your hometown where you come from, where people know you by your name, by your accomplishments? There's plaques, there's There's this list that goes along with your name and then you get married or you move to another town because of job or job change and all of a sudden you're just another face in the crowd. How well do you handle knowing that behind you has been this track and experience of of greatness? Do you like going there where no one knows your name or just sees you as another Joe in the crowd? What happens when you become less than what you were in your business or workplace? For that matter, what happens when you feel like you get passed over for a job, for responsibility in your family, in your home, in your workplace? What happens when you get sent to the third string or benched or released? What happens to you as a person? Does it do something to you? Do you celebrate? Yay, I got downgraded praise God is that your response to that how many of you ever willingly signed up for a downgrade at a motel how many of you had had the best place in this five-star hotel you traveled and you thought about this vacation for months you saved I mean you had piggy banks and and you couldn't wait and this 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 
incredible vacation was there. So you take off and you arrive at this place that's exquisite, five star. And you go to the counter where the clerk is at and says, by the way, while we're here, we really don't need this room that we've saved all year for. We'll take this room on the first floor by, by the pool where all the noise is and we'll pay for first class. How many of you have ever done that? How many of you have ever walked and asked for a downgrade? How many of you have ever went to a, a ticket agent at an airport knowing you're going to fly this six to eight hour long trip and you have tickets for first class? How many of you went to the counter and said, you know what, I've been thinking about it. I'd like a downgrade, pay, pay the same price for first class. Can I have a downgrade? How many of you have ever asked for moving from first class to economy or coach? And say, you know what, while you're at it, just give me the, the seats right beside the bathroom at the rear of the jet. How many of you ever walked into the ticket agent and said that? If you did, she probably passed out. So what does that have to do with Christmas? Anyhow, what's downgrade or, or being reduced have to do with Christmas? The truth of the matter is this. It plays a huge part in Jesus coming to us. It plays a gigantic part of what Jesus did to get to us. It is the central theme of the attitude and desire of Jesus coming to us. When we begin to understand that Jesus gave up to get to us, we soon realize how much he just truly loves us. Jesus loves us too much, so much, that he was willing to leave heaven, all of the benefits of the second person of the Trinity, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, seated with the three in one, perfect place, not a, not a trouble in the world. And he decided to downgrade and move from first class to economy to come to us. I mean, seriously, he was stripped of all his dignity, all his rights, all his privileges, it was like starting over. And now word was on the street that there was this teenage mother who was pregnant before she got married, married to this teenage guy, and this child was being born, they found out was being born in a manger. How many of you would sign up for that assignment? Yeah, I'll sign up. I'm, I'm the first in line. Jesus literally moved from DSL to dial-up. Remember those days? Jesus moved from dial-up to the manual typewriters with the white wipe-out clearing. Remember, you stick that little white in there and you'd hit it to correct. Jesus moved from manual typewriter to Pony Express. Jesus moved from Pony Express to smoke signals. Jesus moved from smoke signals to a manger in Bethlehem. He went from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the second person of the Trinity, daily conversation with the three in one, to a manger in Bethlehem with about a thousand people in that town and maybe 20 to 50 to 100 children. Talk about a downgrade. How many of you would take that downgrade at your work? How many of you would take that downgrade at your school? How many of you would go to your coach and say, hey, let me have the third string? You see, when we begin to wrap our minds around what Jesus did to come home to us, we begin to live differently. And we see a Savior that had no agenda other than just to come and save us. And he knew that we needed a Redeemer. 
This story is just wrapped so well in scripture. And I want to give you a beautiful picture of this downgrade that Jesus took. Grab your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, take this Bible home for you. This is your, your present, your gift from us at Grace Community. We'd love to give you a Bible. But turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up here in the main or over in the link. And usher will be glad to put one in your hand. Turn to New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. And let's read this out loud, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Stand with me and we'll read it out loud. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Ready, read. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You may have a seat. Jesus surrendered his rights of first class to come to us. Paul writes this an incredible way here in Philippians. Jesus surrendered first class privileges to economy or coach to come to us. Jesus' travel plans often get overlooked when we think about Christmas. We go directly to the manger, yet we neglect to think through where did he come from? What was his position prior to this? What took place in order for him to get to planet earth. We forget that he had to go through so much to get to us. We neglect to realize that Jesus was pretty something incredibly spectacular. He was a big deal. Not that he wasn't when he was on earth, but he was the king of kings, lord of lords, second person of the trinity, part of the three in one. He existed, he ruled, angels worshipped him, and he decided that he would take a mission and an assignment from his own God, from his father God, I should say, and being God, he said, you know what? I will take this downgrade so that people can be saved. Think about that for a second. And even more importantly, we tend to forget the cost of this downgrade. Look at verse 5 again in chapter 2. Paul says this. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of whom? Christ Jesus. Come on, look, look, help me. Your attitude should be the same as that of whom? Christ Jesus. Pause and ask yourself this second. Is it? Do you look for ways to humble yourself? Do you look for ways to take the low road so that others can be lifted up? 
Do you set aside your privileges, your name, your experience, your power, your ability so that someone else can be lifted up? Scripture says our attitude should be the same as of Christ. When the world sees us, do they see Christ followers who set aside their privileges so that this other person can come in and be lifted up? Do we humble ourselves? Is that the picture of our attitudes? Scripture says it should be. Scripture also says this. Look at verse 6 of chapter 2. Who, being in the very nature, God, did not consider what? Equality with God, something to be what? Now, Paul's pull away. What? I want to say, wait a minute. You're God. You don't consider that equality, that equalness, something to hold on to? How many of you would like to be God for like 10 seconds? How many of you would like to be God for like five seconds? How many of you would surrender that? Well, give me the whole five seconds. How many of you would say, no, I don't want that. I don't consider that to be grass. Imagine being God for five seconds. Imagine being God for one day. How many of you would surrender being God for 24 hours after being God? Scripture says he didn't consider that something to be grasped. I can't even wrap my mind around it. Why would the eternal God give up God in order to come to us? I can't even fathom wrapping my mind. Why would you leave that, Jesus, to come to us in this? Why didn't you say, no way, let him go? Part of that is he had God's status, but he loved us too much to leave us in our lost condition. You see, part of the problem is we don't know that we're in a lost condition. So some of us hear that and say, well, he just chose to do it. We don't see ourselves as lost. We don't see ourselves needing a God who loves us. We don't see ourselves because we're self-made men, self-made women. And you know what? We continue to push away. Every once in a while, we think about God. We think about eternity. We thought about uh, that the world might end on Friday. And, and just briefly, we let it run through and we say, oh, it's not going to happen. It's, it's, and so we just push it away instead of engaging it and say, what does all of this really mean? God and human beings and Christmas and Jesus becoming a man after being God and coming to us. What does all of that mean? You see, he had God's status prior to coming to the manger in Bethlehem. He was the dude that always sat in first class. He would be the dude that had the best seat in the restaurant. He would be the dude because of who he was. He could call ahead and say, hey, you know, I didn't make reservations, but I got some friends in town. Do you have a spot for me? And it's seven o'clock at a prime restaurant. Sure, we'll make room. He had the ability to arrive as a king. He had the ability to come and say, you know what? I'm coming, but I want to be born into royalty. Instead, he was born to a teenage mother and father in a manger with no fanfare and no blue balloons hanging over the manger. He came without any notoriety or fanfare. And all he had to say is, I'm on my way. I'm coming. Make room. Give me to the five-star hotel. You see, his name carried weight prior to him coming here. We lose sight of that. He was the second person of the Trinity. He owned everything, yet he was willing to become the busboy in Bethlehem. Yet it says here that he didn't think so much of himself, that he had to cling to the advantages of the second person of the Trinity. Now, just, just, just for like 10 seconds, 
Wrap your mind around that. Wouldn't you consider that something to be grasped? You bet you would. By the way, if you're saying you wouldn't, then I'll take it. 24 hours of being God, I would consider that something to be grasped. In other words, he created everything. He spoke it into existence. He held everything together. He was there. He's always been there. He's the Alpha and Omega. He hasn't had a beginning. He won't have an end. He's in control. And now he says, you know what? I'm going to become an embryo. And I'm going to be born to this woman called Mary. Seriously, who thinks like that in our world today? Scripture says we should as Christ followers. It says that we should have that very same attitude. In other words, you go, I'll let you be exalted. I'll work hard just as, I don't need the fanfare. I'll stay back and I'll give everything I have and I'll put into this company. And if they reward me, they reward me. But listen, if they need someone's face, you go and be the face of the company. We don't think that way. But think about this. You might say, well, I came as an embryo. Have you ever thought what that really is like? Well, this week I did. I, I, I researched how big an embryo is. Scientists and doctors who are much brighter than I am in this field tell us this. They say that an embryo, literally, an embryo is literally the size of a half piece of sand. So if I took one piece of sand here and I cut it in half, That's what Jesus was reduced to. Think about that. He was reduced to a half piece size of an embryo. Jesus, I mean, you can barely even see it. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the second person of the Trinity was reduced to the size of that. Who in their right mind who in the right mind would ever leave all the privileges of heaven, all the power, all the angels worshiping him? Who in the right mind wouldn't go from that to that? Jesus did. Scripture says he humbled himself. He took on the form of a man. He became this embryo in this woman's womb. You see, Jesus was a big deal before he came here. It's not like we think about it. It's like, well, it's just the embryo and then it grows. We weren't anything before we were born, but Jesus was. He was the second person of the Trinity who loved us too much to remain there seated in the throne room because he saw the lostness of humanity. Jesus lost some position and stature when he took on that assignment, wouldn't you say? Can you imagine signing up for that one? Yeah, I'll go from the face of the crowd that everyone knows to all the perks and all the benefits. I'll be the whatever the lowest rank is. Jesus left first class rights and moved to coach or economy. Have you ever flown first class? I have one time in my life, and it was because of a mix-up. And I didn't turn it down, by the way. Have you ever flown first class? I did it one time in Thailand. I was leading a group of uh, uh, Gracie's to go see our children in, in, in Thailand. And we were flying from Chiang Mai to, to Bangkok. And for some reason or another, the tickets weren't purchased in time. And only tickets they had left was first class. Oh, that's horrible, isn't it? And so 
we all were able to fly first class. Had never flown first class. I mean, I've walked through first class. And like, and you walk through and you wonder, wonder where they work at. Wonder what he does. How'd you get here? And you see all these people and you start to wonder, how did they, maybe they just fly a lot. And you say, I wonder where I'm going. And, you know, and then, you, then they, they close the curtain of first class and you leave the holy of holies. You know what I'm talking about. Just look. You're in the coach. You're in the economy. You're in the, the, the backside. You know, I've often thought about that, and I often will get up and say, hey, by the way, you're only landing like 10 feet in front of us. But we ended up in first class and because of a mix-up. Let me tell you, I really liked it. My wife liked it. My children happened to be, they really liked it too. And so they walk up, and you didn't have to hit the button for the flight attendant to come to, you know, hey, I need some water. They, they they, they came and served you, and they looked at me, and they said, hey, Mr. Brown. Hey, Mrs. Brown. Hey, Miss Brown. Hey, and they talked to us by our, our last names, and, man, I could spread out my elbows, and I didn't have to share with, with some dude that was sitting in coach that had eaten garlic five minutes before the flight. It's like, you know, I just stretched out. Have you ever been that way? That, like the dude is like, why did you eat pizza before we got on this flight? Did anybody tell you you're going to be stuck in the middle? But I didn't. It's like you could stretch your feet out, and, and then you were boarded first and kind of walked up to the front. Yeah, first class, here I am. Browns, this is my clan. And then as people walk by you when they're going to coach, you know, you kind of nod. <laughs> you know, the human part of me really liked it. I'll be honest, it was awesome. And I haven't flown since, and, but I really liked first class. And when they closed the curtain behind me, just ready to get up and say, we're here, we're here, we're here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus gave all that up for all the crying babies and economy. Jesus gave all that up for the knees up to your chins. Jesus gave it all up for that dude beside you that won't give you elbow space in economy. Jesus gave all that up so that he could have all that. He went from first class to economy. Even from time to time when I travel overseas, I'll board first and just sit in first class and I'll tell my group, you know what, they upgraded me. And I'll sit there and they go by. And it's just fun to do. Imagine, though, if you can, you're setting an economy and coach somewhere, and you're waiting for that notorious person that's jumping from one jet to another and is running late, and you're like, man, i got to catch my flight. We're like you're on this international flight, and you got to catch it, and this person is trying to catch one, and they're running late. And, you know, you see them come running on this jet, sweat dripping off of them, and everyone looks at them. You're the one. Imagine, if you can, you're seated in an economy, and then you see this person come running onto this jet. They're sweating, just arms soaked underneath, dripping from their brow. They come running down, and you got your head down. You're just, you know, it's just, and this person comes, and there's a seat between you and the person, and you soon realize, bummer, I got to fly with someone in between me. And so they sit down, and the person running in looks over, and it's President Obama. Dude, what are you doing here? Don't you belong up there? See, Jesus didn't exercise his authority or his position. He humbled himself to the form of a servant and downgraded to coach to come to us. 
By the way, have, have you ever just been bumped up in life and, and like given something that it's way above you? That's happened to us on a few occasions. And um, just recently, about a year or two years ago, it was during the summer, our family wanted to go to Mackinac Island. It's like two ways to spell. I don't know if it's Mackinac or Mackinac, but we wanted to go there. And depending on where you buy it, it's spelled differently. So I still don't know how to spell it. But anyhow, I wanted to go there. And so I uh, had never been there before. And our family had never been there. And so we started doing what most of you do. We look for the cheapest um, place that you can get a hotel and spend five or six days there. And we wanted to travel up there. And word got out to some uh, friends of ours that are family friends um, that we were headed up there. And, and, and they, came, they called us up and said, hey, Jim, by the way, I got a cabin that's up near Mackinac. And it's... Um, it's like five minutes away. You know, it's kind of back in the woods. If you want to stay there, hey, you can have it. I mean, you can use it. We won't be there for that week. It's yours to use. And I said, seriously? He said, yeah, it's yours. And so I met up with him. He handed me the keys, gave me the GPS uh, coordinate points, how to get there. And so we loaded up our stuff. And it didn't matter at that point. I didn't care if it was 10 by 12. That meant free housing. We could get more fudge on Mackinac with the money left over. It's like, let's go. Let's go do it. And so we loaded up our, our van, you know, our, our Ford Windstar, 180,000, and we're driving up to this place. And the closer we get there, we realize, wow, we're getting closer. And it's just beautiful. I mean, we love the outdoors. And so we got off this beaten path, and the GPS kind of takes us this way. And so we go start driving back this lane. It's like, I don't know, it felt like it was three miles. And at the end of this lane, like we're on this road, and we're looking, I guess this is it, was this like just monster cabin. I mean, Five or 10,000 square feet. Just, just, I mean, just like some of that I've never seen. It's like homes and gardens front page. And we're driving down this lane and I'm thinking, and my kids are, you just heard audible gasp in the van. <gasps> you know, just driving this and we pull up and I'm like, this can't be the cabin. And so we pull up and then look at the numbers, doggone it, it was. And you know, I wasn't complaining, but Wow. So we walk into this place. I mean, we're just, no one's talking. We're just <gasps> walking in. It was just, you know, like, there's like 470 plasmas everywhere. And just, just large rooms. I mean, you could, you could go to one end of the house and yell and wouldn't be heard at the other end. It was just, and it was like on this lake. And we looked out on the lake and he said, oh, by the way, we got some like, some lake things that you can ride. And there's like lined up jet skis. All things you can ride. Woo. He doesn't know how I like to ride. And it's like, and then there's this, this, this big island out in the center of where this cabin was at. And I tell you what, something happens to you. It's like, we walked in and it's like, you know, it's, it's okay. This is nice. And we were just overwhelmed with this generosity. You know, after about two or three or four days there, something happens to you. You kind of, kind of like this. <laughs> I could get used to this. I mean, I don't want to go home. New, new where? New p- p- parents? <laughs> John, can we stay another week? <laughs> Anyhow, we, you know, we took the ferry over. He gave us some passes to the ferry. And over in Mackinac, we're riding bikes around the island. And something even happens when you pedal that bike. Yeah, we're the people in that place over there. <laughs> you even pedal differently. <laughs> something happens to you. Jesus gave all that up all of that up to fly an economy or coach to be born in a manger no fanfare no birth announcement in the Jerusalem news 
because he knew that we were lost and someone had to come to rescue us. Jesus went the very opposite direction that we're often willing to go. In fact, John 1, 14, don't turn there, it says it this way. John said, Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He moved to earth. Jesus left the comforts of first class and the privileges of heavens for you and me because he loves you. In fact, look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. Look what, look what Paul says here. Verse 7 says this. But made himself what? Nothing. Taking the very nature of a what? Being made in what kind of likeness? The God of the universe was reduced to a person with zero notoriety and little fanfare. Other than a teenage mother and a teenage father and a few stinky sheep, some straw that was meant for farm animals, royalty arrived and no one really cared. There was little time for that, quite frankly, because even at his birth, word got out that something spectacular had taken place that Herod said, we need to get rid of this something spectacular because you know, the, the Messiah must have come because of the star and there's this buzz in Jerusalem and Bethlehem that, you know what, let's have a baby genocide. And so Herod says, kill all the boys two years and hunger. I mean, Jesus was born, not only born in a manger, but he became a legal alien on the run immediately. Yes, Jesus was an illegal alien running from one city to another. Think about that for a second. Our savior was an illegal alien running for his life. No bodyguards. He gave up the privileges of heaven and was reduced to power packed in pampers. Yes, our savior became a servant in the form and appearance of a human being. And even worse than that, look what he signed up for. Look at verse eight. It says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to what? And even death on a what? You see, he humbled himself. He moved to the other side of the holy of holies, of the curtain of first class to die. He carried not a birth announcement with him at his arrival. He carried a death certificate. And the one the death certificate says, not only death, but death on the cross. Now listen to me. If that isn't love, I don't know what is. You see, when we sing away in a manger, we ought to be on our knees worshiping the God who was willing to give up that to come to us. Boy, do we have some work to do with our entitlement agendas. This scripture says that we should take on the same attitude of Christ Jesus. We are supposed to have the same attitude. Yet the minute we get downgraded at work, the minute we get left out of the decision-making process because we think we got something good and better to offer, the minute we get passed over for a job promotion, the minute we don't get credit for a project, the minute, for heaven's sake, they spell our name wrong in the newspaper. We get angry. 
Yet Jesus did all that, plus took a flight to earth in economy beside the bathroom with a death certificate in his hand. And every day of his life on earth, he knew the culmination would be death on a cross. So every day he lived with that reality. Soon, at some point, I will die on a cross. He did all this for us, for you and for me. Why, you might ask today. You see, Jesus Christmas began by him giving his life in the form of a human being, leaving heaven and humbling himself to the form and likeness, the kenosis of a man. In fact, John says it this way. Just listen to this. John 3, 17 says, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted of their sin. Listen, Jesus didn't come to judge. Jesus didn't come to to point fingers. Jesus came to save. That's why he came. You see, for some of us, it's difficult because we can't wrap our mind around what that means. You see, because we think, well, he can't, there's no way Jesus could save me. My past is too difficult. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how evil, the evil stuff in my past. You don't know what my journeys look like. I don't care what your journey looked like. Jesus took it to the cross and died for it. You see, there's nothing that you could ever done in this life that Jesus could not take it to the cross, die for it, love you, and give you eternal life. Jesus took all that junk to the cross. You're never too bad or too ugly or too sinful to be saved by Christ. You see, the second Jesus left heaven, he became a redeemer. He could have just sat there and watched it happen, but he didn't. He's the only one that can rescue us. He's perfect. There's not sin in our Savior. He knew that we needed a perfect sacrifice. And so he came as the perfect sacrifice. Stop and consider that he could have pulled the plug on this assignment. Think about it. If you had the chance to say, okay, this is enough. I'm done. Look at them. They're cursing me. They hate me. They're, they're trying to kill me. What am I doing here? I want to go back to the palace. I want to go to the 42 and 52 plasmas. I want that big mansion. What am I doing? They don't even love me. Yet he loved us too much to pull the plug on the assignment. I love how Paul says to Timothy, he said this in 1 Timothy 2. He said, he wants all men to be saved. That's why Jesus came. I love how the doctor, Luke, who wrote Luke, said in 1910, he said, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I love how Peter says it in 2 Peter 3.9. He said, he is patient with you and not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's everyone in this room. That's everyone across the internet. That's everyone in the link. That's me. That's your brothers and sisters. That's the people you'll run into today. Jesus doesn't want anyone to perish and go to hell. He came to rescue you. He came to give you the gift of salvation. He says today could be the day of salvation for you. There's no logical reason to explain why anyone would do such a sacrificial thing other than it was done out of love. 
No one will ever, listen to me, Grace, no one will ever, can ever, nor would ever love you this way. No one but Jesus. You can't find that kind of love in any other person. Seriously. I am so grateful that Jesus left heaven. I'm a mess without Jesus. I'm a mess sometimes with Jesus because of my sin. But Jesus covered my sin and took it to the cross and died for it. And the Bible says that I can be clean. I can be free because of the work on the cross. I would be a mess headed to hell. Now I'm a redeemed person saved by grace headed to heaven because Jesus came. And there's many others in this room that understand that. You see, I can lay my head down on the pillow at night. And if I passed at night, even if, by the way, even if the man's were right, mine's were right on Friday, I was kind of hoping they were. Because I know my next breath was in the presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't get rattled over things like that. You see, I slept last night. And when I lay down, I went to bed with peace in my heart and my mind because I knew if I died in my sleep, my next breath guaranteed is, is in the presence of Jesus because of the work of the cross. And I accepted that free gift. Church, you can't get that anywhere. You won't get that at work. You won't get that in a marriage. You won't get that in a mom. You won't get that in a dad. You won't get that in your father's faith. It has to be your faith. So what does it mean to us? It means he came for you. He came for you. He came for you. He came for you. He came for you in the back row and you standing in the back. He came for all of us. He went this far from heaven to earth to show the full extent of his love on Christmas morning. He didn't just do it to get attention. He did it because no one else could rescue us from our sin. Why in the world would Jesus die on a cross for a lie? Why would he willingly go and leave heaven and come to earth and die on the cross? Who in the right mind would die on the cross for a lie? It's not a lie. He died because he was God. He died for us. Why in the world would anyone leave heaven and all the advantages of first class and the holy of holies and have the curtain closed behind you? Why? Because he saw our lostness and he couldn't just sit idly by. You see, he knows that we are buried in our sins and our sins keep us from getting to him. So he had to come to us, Emmanuel, God with us. The scripture says, what's our response to that? He came a far distance, a long distance. He gave up privileges, power, position, kingship. He traveled from first class to economy, to Bethlehem, to earth. He went to Golgotha and died on the cross on Calvary. He did it. He came a long way. He's here and he says, all you got to do is come and receive this free gift that I went a long ways to bring to earth. To be freed of your sin. You see, Jesus is looking to come to your home this Christmas and live with you. He wants some more earthly addresses. That's why Jesus came. You could bring many people home for the holidays. 
You could bring your mother and your father and your brother and sisters and your aunts and uncles and your girlfriends and your wives and your husbands. And you know what? It'd be really great. But listen, the greatest person you could ever bring home is Jesus Christ. He came for everyone in this room, everyone in the link and everyone in the world. And it says that he is very patient. He's waiting for you to receive this free gift, to accept this free gift of salvation. It's free, no strings attached. Let me show you a story of someone who comes to grace, who I knew personally, been a dear friend for 20 years, who received this free gift of salvation after thinking that he did have a relationship. Watch this true story of someone who attends every week here at Grace. My name is Dave Alcorn, and this is my story. On October 7, 2012, a totally unexpected event occurred in my life. It was unexpected from my perspective, but definitely not from God's. That day will always be a memorial to God's patience, His infinite love and mercy, and his relentless pursuit of a stubborn heart. During that Sunday, God led me to repent of my sin. He saved me. I accepted what what Christ did on the cross for me personally. I was no longer playing games. I I was a child of God. This was unexpected because for almost 40 years, I had been faking a relationship with Jesus Christ. From all outward appearances, I was a believer. I behaved like a Christian did. I said the words that a Christian is supposed to say. I truly believed I was born again. My heart was that blinded and hard. I was even raised in a Christian home. I made a profession of faith when I was in second grade during Sunday school. During my elementary and high school years, though, I would have frequent struggles with assurance of my salvation. But I was always able to shrug it off pretty easily. I would go through a mental checklist. Yes, I know I'm a sinner. Yes, my sin is condemning me to hell. Yes, Jesus died in my place to pay for my sins. Yes, I accepted Christ into my heart. So I'm fine. I'm saved. Those struggles became less and less frequent. And looking back, it's because my heart was getting harder and harder. My dad was on the faculty at Grace College in Winter Lake, Indiana, so it seemed natural that I would go there for my studies. I started out as a pre-med, pre-pharmacy major, but at the end of my freshman year, I felt called to switch my major to biblical studies, thinking I would end up on the mission field somewhere. Shortly after graduation, Anita and I got married, and we both felt that God wanted us to serve Him in, in foreign missions. So I enrolled in Grace Seminary and got my master's degree. We were appointed by a mission board to head to Norway. We tried raising support for four years. God ended that by me making some very sinful decisions. Looking back, it's because I wasn't a believer. In reality, how can you tell somebody about Jesus and plant churches if you don't know Jesus personally yourself? All that Christian activity I was engaged in was was just empty. I was just going through the motions. I settled into a career in the business world, but kept on playing church, teaching Sunday school, being a leader in our local church, just going through the routines of Christianity. I am so thankful for my wife and her spiritual sensitivity. You see, I was content at our other church, but Anita wasn't. She felt God led her to say to me, hey, let's go hear Jim preach. So Easter 2009 was our first service at Grace Community Church. 
God knew he wanted me in a different environment where he could continue his pursuit of my rebellious heart. Once we became regular attendees here, we became quickly involved. We volunteered in Kid City, we joined a small group, we were involved in blitzes. I even joined the church. I'm still amazed at how deceived I was that I was able to present a believable testimony. Even now I feel bad about lying to Pastor Jeremiah since he was the one who interviewed us as part of the membership process. The emphasis on men's ministry here at Grace, I believe, is one reason God brought us here. God's used many men here to chip away at my hard heart, both by the words that they say and, more importantly, the way they live out their faith. Fast forward to fall of 2012. In the weeks leading up to October 7th, I decided that I wanted to do Fight Club. I needed spiritual and physical discipline in my life, and Fight Club was a way to make that change. Little did I know that God had a much bigger change in mind. Well, that first week in October was also the Wild at Heart Men's Retreat in Maryland. And at first I didn't think I was going to be able to go, but some circumstances changed the last minute and I was able to sign up before the, the cutoff. The key conversations occurred in our travel back and forth, sitting in a car for eight, nine, ten hours, listening to people tell what God has done in their life. I distinctly remember hearing one guy share how he became a Christian just a few years earlier and it just dawned on me, it's like, I've gone through my life knowing these things, but I've never experienced that freedom. Pastor Jeremy was in our car and he just happened to read the passage from Matthew that Jim was going to preach on the next Sunday, the next day actually. Those words just echoed in my head and I know that night the Spirit was using the Word of God to convict my heart. That morning when I woke up, I just knew that something was going to happen that day. I had no idea what, but by the time I got to the service and the service started, I could just, you know, those walls of, of self-deception, those walls of my doubts, I mean, everything just came crashing down. I'm usually a pretty good note taker, but that morning it was just very short. I had a few paragraphs and then a couple of sentences. By the middle of the sermon, you know, I was ready. It was time to make a change, so I couldn't wait for Jim to stop the, the message and open up the, the floor for the invitation. I was up front. I was before God. He gave me the, the gift of faith that led to repentance. I confessed my sins. I accepted what Christ did on, on the cross for me. And for the first time in my life, I can truly celebrate Christmas. Part of our family's Christmas tradition, we would always read the Christmas story. Until this year, even though it's been a beautiful story and is a beautiful story, they were just empty words. But this year, I can truly celebrate the birth of my Savior because I have made the choice to bring Jesus home. Each time I watch that, uh, my heart is gripped with a couple things. Dave is a dear friend. Uh, I was at his church when he was trying to raise money to be a missionary. He's a good person. He's not the kind of person you would look at as an evil person. He did all the things that good people do. He taught Sunday school class. He served as a deacon in their church. He, he was going through the motions. And I just hope and pray that in this room that there aren't others just going through the motions 
just thinking that doing this or doing that or worshiping here or banking on their father's faith or their mother's faith or banking on some decision that wasn't really from, from head to heart, but was just a random and nothing changed. You got to ask yourself this question. You got to ask yourself this question. Is there visible evidence in your life that Jesus lives in you? Not just one and done or a couple times a week. Do you find yourself just being detested about sin in your life? Does the Spirit regularly convict you? Do you find yourself where you have these moments where you're just in awe of God? Or is it just like, this is another thing to do on Sunday? Is there, is there this evidence of, of Jesus invading your heart? I'm afraid of this when I watch this. I'm afraid that there's going to be many in this world who call themselves Christians who go through all the busyness of what Christians do, who, who have been in church for 40 plus years, 50, yet there isn't evidence, regular evidence that Christ lives in them. And I'm afraid that like Matthew 7, 21 to 23, where, the, the, where you'll stand before Jesus and you say, God, I was on a blitz. God, I served here. God, I've been a charter member. God, I sing on a worship team. God, I'm an usher. God, I work in Kid City. God, I this. God, I that. God, I adopted kids. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I'm afraid there's going to be many Dave Alcorns standing before Jesus in total shock. Because they haven't taken salvation from their heads to their hearts to their hands and their feet. Listen. No one else can do it for you. You might be just as deceived as Dave was, thinking you got it covered. Yes, I confess my sin. Yes, I believe in the death on the cross and the burial resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, yes. And he might say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's simple, church. It's Jesus made this simple. He left first class and came economy. He gave up everything to offer us a free gift of salvation. And when you receive Christ and he invades your life, you're never the same again. And if you're never the same again, then you've got to ask this question. Was there ever a change? Scripture is clear. Romans tells us we have all sinned, including me, and we fall short of God. So we need someone to stand in the gap and that's Jesus Christ to carry our sin. Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. Death is far away from God. It's eternal life in hell. Yes, hell is a reality if we don't know Christ. Scripture tells us this in Romans. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead, then you will be saved. It's more than intellectual. It's heart. It's action. It's living it out. Then Paul says this in Ephesians. It's by grace through the gift of faith that we're saved. Not by works, not by doing, not by coming, not by this, not by that. 
and not by my father's faith and not because I've been going to church for 40 years. Going to church never saves you. A relationship with Jesus does. Listen, church, Jesus Christ went through too much for us to be playing games. It's either you're in or you're not. There's no other choice. Listen, it's the greatest decision I've ever made. I will gum people to death in my 90s telling them about Jesus because he changes everything. It's not like I do this to get paid for this. It's not like I'm the senior pastor of Grace Community because they pay me well. I would do it for free. Jesus is real. He saves. He wants your heart. Now listen to me. It might mean you have to walk through some pride. It might mean you might have to walk through just years and years of people thinking. I will never forget the morning that Dave Alcorn knelt right there. Never forget it. I will never forget it, seeing him there. And I'll never forget seeing what happened post that morning when he trusted in Jesus Christ alone. He's a new man. And he's headed to heaven, even more than heaven. He has Christ on earth who will never leave him nor forsake him. So where does that leave you today? Listen, if you don't know that you know, and if your heart is going boom, 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 and your heart is pumping right now, then maybe that's the spirit drawing you and say, you better get it right. And here's what that means. It's more than saying, Jesus, I trust you. It's saying, I trust you and doggone it, I'm gonna follow you. That means I need to strip myself of some actions and some things that I've been doing and just walk with you the rest of my life. Listen, that's the best decision. You'll never go wrong following Jesus Christ. Am I right, church? Never. Think about what Christ went through to get to us. He wasn't playing games. My Savior, Jesus Christ, loves you. Dads that are in this room, no more playing games. It doesn't matter what your teenage daughter or your wife thinks. Mom's in this room, no more playing games. It doesn't matter what your children think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks. It matters what you think between you and God. Today could be the day of salvation. Now listen, this isn't just coming and saying, I'm saved, I'm covered. This is saying, I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm all in. Not five days a week, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 365 a year. That's what Christ followers do. They take on the same attitude of Christ Jesus and humble themselves. So this morning... We're going to give you that opportunity. This is more than walking the aisle. This is saying, I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And I'm turning and repenting of my sin and I'm following hard after Jesus. I'm all in Jesus, all in. God, help us today. Lord, it is evident that many will be in for the shock of their lives when they stand before you. It is evident through scripture that few will find you. 
So Lord, I pray right now that that wouldn't be the case for Grace Community. Pray God that we would lead the way with all in Christ followers who set aside pride and what other junk that gets in the way would just humble themselves. I don't care what people think. I want Jesus. I don't care if they think I'm a follower. I need Jesus or I just need Jesus. I realize today that I'm lost in my sin and I'm headed to hell. If that's you today, the Bible says to confess with your mouth. I believe that prayer is a confession. The prayer doesn't save you. It's an act of something that's already happened inside of your heart, but I believe it's important to articulate that back to God. That's what confession is. You speak back those words. So if today you want to trust Christ, then do so through speaking these words. Tell him, Father God, I know I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you. It's obvious that I've sinned. Please forgive me of my sins. Take this heart and make it new. I receive the free gift of salvation. Not only receive it, but I'm going to live it out. I repent of my sin and I commit to following hard after you. No one else, hard after you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. In Jesus' name, amen.